0: Let's take our hearts to the Lord. God, once again, we just say thank you for gathering us together, uh, Lord, uh, to worship you on this day. And we thank you, God, uh, just for the finished work, Lord, of the cross. We thank you for all that the resurrection means to us and for us, that you have so loved us that you've given yourself for us. Now we pray, God, that we would set our hearts to you, that we would uh, want to learn of you, that we again might become more like you, Lord. Set our hearts on fire for you. Lord, renew the joy today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, by the end of Luke chapter 23, Jesus has been tried He's been crucified and laid in a tomb. And the tomb has been sealed. A Roman guard, now as few as four soldiers, but as many as possibly 16, has been set. You see, the day before the religious leaders had approached Pilate about securing the tomb until the third day to silence any would-be rumors or deception of a resurrection. Because Jesus had announced on multiple occasions that he would rise from the dead on that day. Ladies and gentlemen, Luke chapter twenty is that day now let's recall that the Jewish way of reckoning time did not revolve around the sunrise but rather the sunset Jesus was laid in a tomb on Friday when the sun set it was officially Saturday or the Sabbath and that's why they were in such a rush to get his body wrapped in what spices they could put in place after he was crucified and taken down from the cross because when the sun set the Sabbath was upon them they couldn't work anymore and so they did the best they could but to put it plainly it was a bit of a rush job and the women had agreed that the day after the Sabbath on Sunday they would return to the tomb at first light not because they had Anticipated the resurrection, but as was pointed out previously this morning, they wanted to prepare his body more properly. Ladies and gentlemen, the ancient Jews didn't practice any sort of embalming, they allowed for what we might call a rapid decay. And then they would gather the bones they would place those bones into a stone box a stone chest called an ossuary and then that would serve as kind of the final resting place of the remains. And so as the body decayed, uh, to say it kind of bluntly, they would seek to neutralize the scent through various fragrances and spices and such. And this was what was on the mind of the women as the day is dawning on Luke 24. But spoiler alert, right? By the time we reached Luke 24, Jesus is risen from the dead. Amen? The single most powerful, and this can this, this sometimes kind of blows our mind. When we think about it, the single most powerful, profound act to ever occur in human history, and not one gospel record details it for us. Not even vaguely. And guys, truth be told, to me, it's one more element that speaks to the truth of the record. Guys, the gospels are eyewitness accounts, but no one witnessed the resurrection. So no one details it for us now plenty of people witnessed the resurrected Christ But no one witnessed Christ's resurrection Listen if someone was making all this up I would be prone to think that that is one spectacular detail that I would not leave out You know, we would talk about the light emanating the fog rolling the angels singing. I mean this is the crescendo of our story There's none of that Now there's a bit of drama surrounding the angelic appearance to the women and how the soldiers shook for fear and became like dead men. And that's because uh, there were eyewitnesses to that. But as for the actual resurrection, guys, we see Jesus put to death upon a cross, placed in a tomb, and by the time the women show up on Sunday morning, he's already gone. Turn your attention with me. Let's look beginning in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women, the other, the they are from the uh, verse 55 of chapter 23, the women that were there at the cross, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, as you read the other gospel accounts, you begin to get a little bit of a composite of everything going on here. The reason that the stone is brought up and how it was already rolled away is because that was the topic of discussion as they were making their way to the tomb early that day. They wanted, how were they going to get the stone rolled back? Because the tomb would have been carved out of stone, a big you know uh, kind of cave carved into the side of a hill, and what they did was to dig or I guess more accurately they would sort of chisel slash dig a channel into the stone in front of the opening, and then they would roll a large stone, kind of carve the width of the channel into that channel. Uh, something like we have the image here, something like this. Right. So they would carve in. Now I'm not saying this is that tomb, but it is a tomb and they've carved it into the side of the hill. They have the stone. They would roll it into the channel in front of the opening. Now this would prevent like vandalism or desecration, robbery, things of this nature. But it was not something that a few women were going to move. Guys, a typical stone would weigh two, three, maybe even 4,000 pounds. It would take several men to even budge this thing. But when the women showed up, they found the stone already rolled away from the tomb. And Matthew addresses the mystery for us. He tells us that an angel rolled it back. But listen, not so that Jesus could get out, right? We know Jesus didn't need any help. I mean, can you imagine this? There he is inside. Hey, guys, somebody, I'm alive. There was none of that. Our Lord passed through, you know, with the resurrection body, he would pass through. Well, he didn't need any help. It wasn't so that he could get out. It was so that the women, so that Peter and John and anyone else for that matter could get in and see that Jesus wasn't there, but that he had risen from the dead. Now, in verse four, it says, And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining uh, garments. And then as they were afraid and lowered their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Interesting, isn't it? Guys, sometimes I feel like we've heard this so much that we get kind of familiar with it and we lose the awe of it. Think about what's happening here. Their, their first reaction upon seeing the stone rolled away wasn't, Jesus is alive. You know, there was no anticipation. There was zero expectation of a resurrection. They were, well, the word is perplexed. They were confused. Until these two angels made it clear. By the way, just a little brief, uh, I digress a bit, but it's interesting to me how that even as angels in Luke chapter 2 announce the news of Jesus coming forth from the womb, so here they announce the news of him coming forth from the tomb. There they are, excited about everything the Savior is doing. But the angels seem almost surprised, sort of shocked that the women were even there. They ask him a question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? In other words, guys, why are you coming to a graveyard to look for Jesus? Don't look for life. Listen to me. Don't look for life where there's only death. Okay? That's what they're saying. And oh, man, if people could just learn this lesson, huh? People trying to find life, fulfillment, fulfillment. Anywhere and anyone except where it is. Listen, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus came to give us life, and that more abundantly. Everlasting life is found in Christ alone. And the angel compelled them to remember the words he had spoken to them. The Son of Man must, and that's the critical word, and we'll touch on it more in a few minutes, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And then we see verse 8, underline it, they remembered His words. And so here we have the first stirring of hope in the hearts of the women as they remembered the words of Jesus. Guys, don't miss it. The empty tomb, the presence of the angels, even the words of the angels. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. It wasn't enough to change their hearts, but his words brought both change and cheer to their hearts. I've discovered too often people of God, the people of God live Depressed and defeated lives because they forget the promises of the word of God. They connect what they saw with what Jesus said and suddenly it all comes together. Look at verse 9. And then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Everyone who was there it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales and they did not believe them. Isn't that interesting? The, the, the apostles, the disciples, they didn't believe them. Here they are, they run back from the tomb. By the way, you ever wonder what happened to those spices that they took? I mean, listen, I'm just telling you they couldn't care less about those spices they had the most wonderful news now pent up in their hearts and they couldn't get back fast enough I mean Jesus is alive he's conquered death he was everything they had hoped for and so much more and they come you can see it in your mind's eye they come bursting into the place the disciples are staying they're shouting they're crying they're laughing they seem like they've lost their minds they've been given the privilege to be the very first people to tell others that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead he's alive they're trying they're all talking at the same time it's like i'm telling you we saw the angels the stone was rolled away he wasn't there their words seemed like well the phrase is idle tales in other words like nonsense one commentator says that the word idle tales is a medical word used to describe the babbling of a fevered and insane mind In other words, it's like they've they've lost their minds. That's the way the disciples are kind of seeing them. Like, what is wrong with you guys? Now, verse 12, but Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Now, we know from John's gospel that John was with Peter, that they both went running together. And John, you know, uh, humble brags that he got there first. And then... uh, but he stopped at the, at the edge of the tomb, and then Peter runs in. That's why we see here Peter was the first one to stoop down, to run in, to check out what was happening. And what they saw, like you see Peter just kind of wham, and you can kind of, from that picture we had, you can kind of see him like stoop down in there. And then he goes in there, and he starts investigating the scene, and John follows along, and what they saw looked like the undisturbed wrappings of the body of Jesus, but the body of Jesus itself wasn't in them imagine like a cocoon, like a chrysalis. It, like In other words, it was like his body had simply dematerialized and passed through the grave cloths. They weren't all disheveled. Uh, they weren't, you know, as though they had been torn through or ripped apart. They were laying there perfectly undisturbed, except for the the one little cloth that was covering his face had been taken and folded and set aside in another place. They were mesmerized. Peter, well the word is, marveled to himself. Like, what is going on? But it didn't make sense. What in the world has happened here? They're trying to Add it up. It's like they're doing the math. It's not adding up. The dots aren't connecting for them. Now, at this point, John tells us that when he went in and he saw and began to think through that he believed. But for all this, Peter, though he can tell something powerful, he's marveling. He can tell something powerful has happened here, but he still isn't ready to receive it and so peter heads home are you with me now beginning in verse 13 we have a cut scene of sorts and it brings into focus for us one of the most marvelous stories in all of the new testament but let's remember it's still sunday morning The tomb is empty. The women are saying that Jesus is risen. Peter and John have seen the empty tomb. John is buying in, but Peter still isn't persuaded. He's not certain of what he's seen. And so the other nine who are back and then the others who are with them as the story is kind of beginning to unfold for them, they're still hesitant to concede. They aren't fully convinced because none of them, that is none of the disciples, have seen him. Okay, so you have the scene, right? Now, Passover was Friday. Jerusalem, as you may be well aware, around the Passover would have literally been teeming with two, maybe three million people from all over the known world. Uh, they'd travel in to celebrate Passover. And then Saturday was the Sabbath, so no one traveled home. Verse 13 finds two, and I hesitate to say, but I'm just going to say, second tier type disciples, okay? Meaning that they are not of the original 12. These are just some kind of some uh, peripheral, they love the Lord, they follow after the Lord, but they weren't in that kind of that that an original 12 and they're just they're making their way uh, back home. And so we've got the scene, here they are, a couple of guys. We don't know who they are. We've never seen them before. We've never had attention drawn to them before and the camera begins to pan like diagonally down, right? And as it pans down, you find them walking and talking about everything that had happened. You see how this rolls out in my mind, right? And so here it is, it's rolling down, you see the blue skies, the clouds, and it's coming down, you start to see the hills, and then the people, and then these two guys start coming into focus, and they're just walking, and they're talking about everything that happened over the weekend in Jerusalem. Let's see what we have here, beginning in verse 13, now, behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Family, we love everything about this scene, don't we? It's filled with mystery, with intrigue. And wonder I mean and guys there's a few things worth making mention of here first let's address the movie that's rolling out in our minds right you you can see this in your mind's eye can't you here they are uh, these two men they're walking down this road and it's you know no doubt many are it's not like just two guys walking alone down a road but I mean there's probably a matter of fact it's probably a bit more congested than it normally might be because Passover has just happened lots of people are leaving the city and they're talking about the same thing that everyone else is talking about the uproar over the weekend how that Jesus had been taken and tried and and crucified how they're hopes had been dashed how crazy it seemed how fast it all happened you know last week it was hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord save now the whole city's in an uproar worshiping praising him uh, cut you know forward just not even a whole week and he's been tried he's been taken he's been crucified he's been put to death he's been laid in a tomb and you know all of the, now what are we to make of this rumor of resurrection you know what are we going to do Now that Jesus is gone. And they're just talking, guys, about all the things. All the things you'd be talking about. They don't have answers. They're not exchanging insights. They're just talking about Jesus. And as they're talking, this man kind of sidles. He kind of edges his way into their company. And who is it? Yeah, it's Jesus himself. Now, maybe you're seeing... A very mysterious scene in your mind's eye. You know, Jesus joins in with this big hood kind of draped over his face in this very medieval kind of fantasy fashion. You know, you're kind of seeing a Lord of the Rings thing or something. And, you know, I suppose that's possible, but not probable. Guys, it's possible that they didn't recognize him because he simply looked different after the relentless beating that he had just taken prior to the cross, being disfigured. His visage was marred more than any man in the Bible, meaning by the time they were done beating him, he wasn't even recognizable. He wouldn't even look like the same guy. You wouldn't recognize him. We know that he maintained the print of the nails in his hands and in his feet, the wound in his side. And so perhaps he just looked different. And, they, and Guys, you got to remember, they're not expect; they're really not believing that he's alive yet. They're not sure what's happening. They've heard this rumor. They know the tomb is in. They're not looking for him by any stretch. And also, you guys, it could be uh, that his resurrection body simply didn't appear exactly the way his pre-resurrection body did. Hey, can we just all agree that we're all hoping for a few upgrades in our resurrection body? Man, the older I get... And the more my body fails me and falls apart on me and I could go into stories, you wouldn't like them. Uh, I am looking forward to the upgrades of the resurrection body. Come on, somebody. (laughs) But guys, at the end of the day, we read that their eyes were, well, the word is restrained. The Lord had blinded them, if you will allow me that. He was keeping himself concealed. But here's what I want you to see. When you start conversating with others about Jesus, it isn't going to be long before you're joined by Jesus, okay? Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16 tells us that those who fear the Lord uh, speak of the Lord and that he listens. The Lord just draws. He's right there. Now, Jesus said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And guys, we know that the Lord never leaves us. He never forsakes us. It's not as though he's ever away from us. But there's this kind of, and and you guys can bear witness to this, there's kind of this tangible expression of his presence that begins to kind of fill the atmosphere when you begin to conversate and and fellowship and, and speak to one another about the Lord you know this edifying this edification and so they're talking about him and he begins to draw near to them can you see it he's drawing near but guys think this through jesus has risen from the dead he could have appeared to a priest he could have gone to the temple you know he could have showed himself to the who's who But we love the Lord's desire to draw near and make himself known more to the who's he. Right? Uh, These guys weren't famous. They were simple, common, everyday, otherwise anonymous individuals. Now, think about it. He's appeared to a few women who virtually have zero social status and These two men who we don't even, I mean, one of them, their name doesn't even get an honorable mention. We don't even know who they are. Now, we know from later in this text and from Paul's words there in 1 Corinthians that he has, by the time he draws near to them, he's speaking with them and he begins to fellowship and we'll see what takes place here momentarily. But we know that at this point, he has had a personal and private meeting with Peter Okay Peter you remember the one who went in wasn't sure wasn't convinced he's guys you got to remember this guy he's he's on another level Peter's on another level he's denied the lord he's he feels like he's completely failed the lord and so uh he just goes home you know he's like I don't know and he just he goes home uh but he's We don't know about this meeting or anything that took place in this meeting other than the fact that Jesus met with him in order to restore him personally and privately. But here's the take home. If like Peter, maybe it's you, maybe you're here today, someone drug you here, but the truth is you feel like you failed Jesus tremendously. You're thinking maybe it's too late for you personally. Uh, You should know that Jesus is seeking you out uniquely. He wants to meet with you intimately. He wants to restore you, love on you individually, just like with Peter, you see. Or perhaps you're just a common, everyday kind of person. Well, listen, Jesus has you on his radar. Think about it. The first, Guys, I mean, I don't know if you ever stop to think about these things. The first morning, the first afternoon... He's risen from the dead. He could have appeared to or spent time with anyone. And he chose these everyday, ordinary, common folks, just like you and just like me. Well, in verse 17... He says to them, so he draws near to them, he's listening in on them, and he says to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? You know, their faces are down, they're a little depressed, and then the one whose name was, how do you say, Cleopas, Cleopas, uh, answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? You know, there's got, you know, the Lord, man, let's just keep going. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yeah, certainly they say, yeah, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. You remember they marveled, they were perplexed, all of the things, they seemed insane. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels and uh, the angels had said he was alive. And and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Guys, isn't this incredible? I mean, Jesus edges his way into the company of these men. He's all, hey guys, you're looking kind of down. What are you you guys talking about that's made you so sad? And, you know, Cleopas is all, bro, are you serious right now? You know, uh, you have got to be the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here over the last few days. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. And we can almost see that smile that the Lord's kind of holding back, can't we? I mean, it's that whole, you know, he says, he's all, he's all, What things? You know, you don't know the things that have happened in Jerusalem the last few days? He's, tell me about what? What are you talking about? You know? And he's positioning himself in such a way as to have them share with him and show to him what's in their heart. Are you seeing that? He's positioning himself in such a way so that they will pour out for him all that is in. Listen, God knows our heart but He loves to hear from you. He wants us to pour out before Him everything that's in our heart. And these guys, I mean, they did a pretty good job, didn't they? They recounted everything uh, accurately. But essentially, what they said was we were following after Jesus. We had placed all of our hope in Jesus, but things didn't turn out like we thought they should or like we hoped they would. They were hoping for one thing, right? That Jesus would be the man who would set them free from the bondage and oppression of Rome, that he would redeem Israel. But what happened was another thing. He was crucified and their hopes were crushed. But ladies and gentlemen, you should realize that this mentality is not altogether uncommon still today. People will come to Jesus. People will begin to follow after Jesus because they have certain expectations certain anticipations they expect that Jesus will be the end of all their problems no more worries no more woes only upward and onward from here you know Jesus is going to give them a new job maybe Jesus is going to give them a new spouse you know he's going to heal every sickness and uh, deliver them from every addiction and guys there are times the Lord will do those things but I'm here to tell you, it doesn't always go the way we think it should go, okay? And people will wind up sorely disappointed and disillusioned and disheartened because they were hoping one thing. They had set their mind, their heart on this thing. But what happened was another thing. Guys, it's true that Jesus came to deliver us to set us free. But not from every struggle or circumstantial hardship in this world. In a matter of fact, Jesus made one of those promises you probably hard to find in your Bible promise book, but he said, in this world you will have tribulation. He came to set us free, right, from the penalty of sin from the power of sin, ultimately from the very presence of sin. Maybe you remember when John the Baptist was in prison. Do you remember that scene? How many of you recall that scene in your mind's eye? And there he was, and he sent to Jesus, and he's all like, hey, he sent some of his disciples to the Lord on behalf of himself, because he was in prison, and he said, listen... Are you the one that we're looking for or not or not? This was his question through the disciples. Listen, John must to know, are you the one we're looking for, the one we're waiting for or not? And the implication was, hey, Jesus, I thought you came to set the captives free. And here I am sitting in prison. Listen, I'm the one who's gone before you. I'm the one that's been pointing others to you. I'm the one that's been talking and all about you. And, you know, I'm your man. And here I am, you came to set the captives free and I'm in prison, what are you doing? And Jesus said, go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them, listen, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. That is, you don't stumble because Jesus isn't doing everything exactly the way you think he should or hoped he would. And Jesus says, blessed is the well." I thought Jesus was going to die. I mean, I did it and all that. He said, listen, it's not always going to go the way you want it to go, the way you think it should go or hoped it would go. Now, if your hope isn't to have an easy life. Uh, which is a lot of times, again, why people come to Christ. They think, well, he's going to take away all my pride. It's going to be smooth, primrose path from this way forward. If, if like you're like, no. Uh, but Remember what Jesus said? If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, the instrument of death to self and the self-will. He said, and, and then you can follow after me. Now, if your highest hope then isn't to have an easy life, but like Paul the Apostle said, that I may gain Christ... And be found in him, notice, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Notice, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, oh, we don't like this one, of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection. From the dead. Ladies and gentlemen, if that's what you're looking for, you will not be disappointed. Now, in verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Ladies and gentlemen, this undoubtedly qualifies as the greatest Bible study of all time, and yet not one of them wrote it down for us. I mean, can you imagine listening to Jesus expound in all the scriptures the things concerning himself? Guys... The Bible speaks accurately of history, but listen, it's not a history book, okay? The Bible, they use it to find uh, digs and do things archaeologically, but it's not a book. It's not a map on archaeology. Whatever it speaks of, it does so with accuracy, but make no mistake, in the volume of the book, it points to, it revolves around, it is written of Jesus Christ, okay, okay? Listen, don't miss this. This is incredibly important to see. It's back in verse 25. The problem with their understanding, with the, the conclusion they had come to, the problem was not in their head. It was not an intellectual issue Oftentimes, we think the obstacle to believing lies in the head. Jesus says, no, the problem is in the heart. You're slow of heart to believe. To believe what? Again, don't miss it. Guys, as powerful and pointed as was the witness of the angel's as was the witness of the women, as was the evidence of the empty tomb, Jesus does not point them to any of those things. He does not uh, pull back his sleeves. He doesn't reveal to them his scars. He points them to the scriptures. Okay? You, he says, in essence, need to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. He said, oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. The general gist is this. If you don't believe the word of God, you're a fool. That's what he says. People constantly trying to attack the integrity, the veracity of the word of God. Jesus says a person is a fool not to believe it and not to believe it most of it. I mean, all of it except the really far-fetched stuff like Jonah in the belly of the great fish or parting of the sea or, you know, these kinds of things. You can believe everything but that, right? It's not what it says. In all. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word. Ladies and gentlemen, we need it all. You can't pick and choose which parts to believe. They had no trouble with the portions that pictured and prophesied the Messiah reigning in glory but they couldn't register the aspects of his suffering. So what did Jesus do? He took them back, back to Genesis. He pointed to himself as the seed of the woman whose heel would be bruised, who would crush the serpent's head. He spoke to them of the one who would bring the, in Abraham all of the nations would be blessed. Genesis 22, the picture of Abraham the father being willing if necessary to sacrifice his only son. Exodus chapter 12, the Passover lamb of God and how its blood was shed to bring deliverance of the nation. He spoke of the sin offerings, the peace offerings, and how they were all foreshadows Fulfilled in the offering of himself for the sin of the world. He pointed to the crucifixion in Psalm chapter 22. How his bones were out of joint. How his hands and his feet were pierced. And how lots were cast for his clothing. He spoke of the good shepherd of Psalm 23. The suffering servant of Isaiah 53. I don't know. Maybe he pointed to himself as the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The man who wrestled with Jacob the lion of the tribe of Judah, and the princely Messiah of the book of Daniel, who would be cut off, but not for himself. And who would establish a kingdom that would never end. Family, on and on he went, expounding and opening the scriptures to them. How it was necessary for the Christ to have suffered, to pay the penalty for the sins of the world that he would be wounded for our transgressions that he would be bruised for our iniquities that the chastisement for our peace would be placed upon him and by his stripes we would be healed that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and then to enter in to his glory now verse 28 and then they drew near to the village where they were going And he indicated that he would have gone farther. He just kind of, this is where we turn in. He's like, okay, guys, you know, uh, I'll see you later or whatever. Hopefully we meet again, whatever. And they constrained him saying, abide with us for it's toward evening. And the day is already spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it, broke it. And gave it to them. You know, Jesus, the perfect gentleman. He'll draw near to you, spend time with you, walk beside you. But he'll never force himself upon you. It's up to you if you want to receive him and spend time with him. But these guys were wise. They weren't about to let this guy go one who's speaking to them of the Messiah and opening the scriptures for them they're not going to let him move on out of their lives they wanted to be with him as much as they possibly could and so we see again here that it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took the bread he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them verse 31 then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight This isn't unbelievable. I I wonder if like the bread went and just hit the table. You know, he's there, he's blessing the bread and they're like, it's the Lord. And just like that, he's gone. Now, have you ever thought about this? This isn't his home, but he takes the place of the host. He begins ordering service. He kind of takes over, but it seems only appropriate, doesn't it? Anytime Jesus is around, man, he's the host. And he's just kind of loving on them. He's ministering to them. Now, how was it that their eyes were opened? Um, We really don't know. I'll tell you what it wasn't. It wasn't that it was the way that he took the bread, blessed the bread, and broke the bread. We say that because it kind of reminds us of the Last Supper. But here's the thing. These guys weren't at the Last Supper. They weren't there. There's no uh, sacramental rite that they're picking up on with this. Some wonder if maybe they saw the print of the nails. Ultimately, guys, Jesus opened the scriptures, then he opened their eyes. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Okay? He, He begins to minister to them. He gives the word of God to them. Then they see him for who he is. Do you catch that? But the moment they realized it was him, he vanished. Can you imagine that? I mean, you're picking your jaw up off the floor. You're, you're, you're looking at one another. You're stunned. You're shocked. You're surprised. You're fired up. You know what I'm saying? Where it says their eyes were opened, it speaks literally of the pulling back of the curtains. Sometimes we're disappointed when the curtains pulled back, aren't we? I mean, how many of you love to watch a good magician? But then you always want to know how it's done. Oh, show me how the trick is done. You know, and I've been to Vegas a few times and I've been in the magic shops and maybe it's the same everywhere, but they always say this, the trick is taught when the trick is bought. You know, you got to pay for it. It's so, okay. Okay. I want to learn. It, I want to learn. It, you pay it. And then they show you the trick and you're kind of like, oh, that's it. You're always like dis- disheartened, disillusioned, you're like disappointed. That's it. You know, remember that scene from The Wizard of Oz? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. But could they be disappointed, be disillusioned? Listen, I'm going to tell you, Jesus wants to pull back the curtain for you. He wants you to see exactly who he is. And ladies and gentlemen, you will stand in awe. Now, in verse 33, or pardon me, 32. uh, And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? Notice the Lord is the one who opens the scriptures to us. And so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread these guys remember now this is about seven miles away and it was already evening remember like well the day's spent just come on in here they start doing dinner they get to see. they, they pick up on who the lord is and they're like we well, ain't wasting time we're we're running back they did a 14 mile hike they wasted no time. They were passionate about proclaiming the message. Family, this is always happens once you've met the risen and living Christ. You have something exciting to share, and you want to make it known to others. And as they're talking, there they are in the room, back in that, that room that they were in in Jerusalem. And we discover, as they're talking about the Lord, what happens? The Lord shows up in their midst. Look at verse uh, 36. Now, as they said these things, Jesus said to him, he said, peace to you. So there he is. He shows up in their midst. He ministers to them. He looks at, he, he, he uh, uh, eats with them. Now, I said we were only gonna go through 35, but I'm gonna cheat a little bit. Um, and uh, worship team, if you guys wanna make your way up, you can. Look over at verse 44, okay? And then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Again, verse 45, And they opened; he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. And then he said to him, them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations. We'll stop right there. Resurrection, repentance, Remission. There's one more R word that I didn't put on our title. You know what it is? Responsibility. The resurrection leads to a responsibility. We're to proclaim repentance and remission of sin in Jesus' name to all nations. And here's the thing, guys. We're just to be his witnesses. You don't have to. What does a witness do? Just tells the facts as he knows them and she knows them, right? You don't have to debate the news. You don't have to defend the news. You just declare the news. That's it. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and rose again the third day. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. For he is risen. Oh, you guys, the test. For he is risen. All right. Let's bow our hearts. I told you guys I was going to test you. God, we thank you for the certainty of your word. And I pray, God, that we not be slow of heart to believe in all that has been written. Lord, you could have have pointed to what the women said, what the angels said, what was laying around in the tomb. You could have rolled back your sleeves and showed them your scars, but you pointed them to the Scripture. And so, Lord, I pray that we believe in all that's been spoken with all of our heart. We thank you for loving us, for solving the sin dilemma, and reconciling us to yourself through the work of the cross. And ladies and gentlemen, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, we're preparing our hearts for communion. I would be remiss to not at least give you the opportunity. Maybe we're all family, maybe we all know the Lord personally, but maybe not. Jesus was crucified for our transgression. He was raised for our justification. I'm just encouraging you to turn from your sin and trust in Him today. That forgiveness of sin is found in Jesus Christ alone who is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through Him. So the question is, is God knocking on the door of your heart? If so, I encourage you to open it. Today is a day of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ who has loved you and has given himself for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that if you would just believe upon him, you'd never perish but have everlasting life. And so if the Lord's speaking to you, I want to pray for you. Listen, I can't pray you into heaven. I can't do that for you. That's something that's on you. But I'd love to pray for you if the Lord is dealing with you and today is a day of salvation for you. If your heart's turning to him, you're believing on him, you're saying, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Make me new. Whatever it is that you have, that's what I need. If that's kind of the thing is happening in your heart, can I pray for you? If you say, yeah, then here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. If I see your hand, I'll say so. You can put it back down, but I want to give you a second. God bless you. I see you. I see you too, and I see you too. God bless you. Guys, this is why we're here, because God loves you. God bless you. I see you. Don't don't harden your heart in the moment. Open your heart. Anyone else? God bless you. God bless you. Remember the promise of God's word that if we'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And as I've said, it's by grace that we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Guys, I want to pray with you. As a matter of fact, you can pray with me. Uh, You can pray out loud if you want, or you can just pray from your heart. God's searching your heart. He knows your heart. Okay. Okay. But the Bible says that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But if we'll confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so would you just come to the Lord in in your own heart and just tell him, say, Lord, uh, that's who I am. I'm, I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you, God, to forgive me of my sin. Lord, that you would come into my heart, into my life, and fill me with the person and the power of your Holy Spirit. Just have your way in me completely. I believe on you. I surrender to you. Thank you for putting my name in your book of life. Listen, if you prayed a prayer like that, I want you to know that the Lord has heard you. And again, it's not a prayer that saves you. Jesus saves you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is searching your heart. And I encourage you to live out loud for Jesus Christ. I'm gonna tell you this, there's no such thing as a closet Christian. He calls us out. Come out from among them and be clean, says the Lord. Don't touch that which is unclean. He calls us to repent, to change. So we confess our sin. We turn from our sin. Believe on him. And he'll be glorified in your life. I'm telling you, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things are made new. There's something different about you today as you leave here. And it's the life of Christ Jesus in you. Receive that. Rejoice in that. Be blessed by that.